This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. I'm Stephen Igo. As we are recapping ECU's 38-21 loss to Tulane, another frustrating game for the Pirates as really uh, what looked like a winnable game on paper uh, went went by the wayside. And Tulane scored 24 unanswered over the second and third quarter to build a 31-7 lead. And from there, ECU was able to get some, some late touchdowns to make it somewhat interesting, but really this was a game that wasn't really as close as the final score indicated. Very reminiscent of last year's games against South Florida and Tulsa, of course. Uh, is pretty reminiscent, too, of the Georgia State game from earlier this year. I had an article on hoistacolors.net about just how this is the fourth game uh, of Mike Houston's tenure where it really seemed like ECU – had a chance coming in, you know, pretty even matchup on paper, winnable game, and things just went by the wayside, and uh, Saturday was no different. It's Sunday morning. Uh, before we dive into this thing, I, you might be able to tell it in my voice, but uh, still a little under the weather uh, coming out of the coming out of the game. No, the game didn't make me sick, but I woke up Saturday morning uh, with a slight fever and not feeling the best, so I actually didn't cover the game in person, got tested. Uh, as a precaution, still still waiting on those results, but I am feeling better. Just uh, stuff is still lingering a little bit as I do this podcast. So we might not go as long as normal because of that, as I'm still recovering. Uh, the game, unfortunately, didn't make me feel much better. The, the original plan was to record last night with it being a noon game, but uh, it was just feeling pretty drained. So I moved on and uh, got, got a good night's rest, and now it's Sunday morning, so feeling much better too. Record this thing, so uh, we're going to get to your questions here in a little bit. I wanted to first look back at at some of the stats. We also, by virtue of waiting uh, the next day to record this, we also have uh, Pro Football Focus's individual player grades for ECU coming out of this game, which I think there are some very interesting grades, both good and bad, that we'll get into on the podcast. Um, But first off, you know, you look at the stat sheet, from this game a a few things really glaring to me of course Tulane dominates total yards 493 to 386 but the biggest thing is the rushing yards 277 for Tulane 35 rushing yards for ECU average per rush 8.1 for Tulane and really that was around nine yards per carry uh, in the fourth quarter until late ECU averages 1.2 yards per carry Rajay Harris for as good as he's been in recent weeks, was totally shut down. And the the amazing thing is Tulane really didn't even have to stack the box and run blitz to take him away. It was just they were able to penetrate and 
win the one-on-one ba- one battles up front enough where they didn't even have to commit that much to the running game. You know, this was this was going to be a tough game on paper for the defensive ends. Uh, it was going to be a tough game for the offensive tackles given the defensive ends Tulane has and the fact that the Pirates are still without Deontay Smith and Noah Henderson, their projected starting offensive tackles heading into the year. And they just were, were dominated at the point of the attack. Uh, the, the interior offensive line struggled to get much run push. It was just a, a disappointing day. If you can't run the ball on Tulane when they're still dropping six and seven back into coverage, they didn't even have to blitz that much. Um, it's going to be a long day for the offense, and we, we really saw that today. Just a, a major struggle. One-dimensional attack, the complete opposite of the previous three games, and that's why ECU's offense struggled, even with a pretty good passing game. Uh, from Holton Aylers, the quarterback. So uh, going off that 3 of 15 on third down for ECU, uh, ECU's offense, and that's just – that's not going to get it done. Um, and they were 1 of 10 or 1 of 11 at one point in the fourth quarter. Uh, and Holton Aylers said after the game, they practiced third down really more than any team in the country. And to only convert 20% of your third downs, you just can't do that. And then 1 of 4 on fourth downs – they were able to convert the first fourth down of the game, which led to a touchdown, but then str- struggled from there. The you know the sequence where they had second and one, third and one, and ran it with Keaton Mitchell right up the gut, uh, back-to-back plays, and was stopped was just extremely disappointing. First, you know, why not go with Rajay Harris there, who's 228 pounds compared to Keaton Mitchell at 182 pounds. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, you have to be able to get a yard. If you can't get a yard with two plays, you don't deserve to win. The next series, uh, to their credit, you know, they called some pass plays in those situations. It was a third and one, fourth and one situation near midfield. And they they had to play. They had what they wanted. Tyler Sneed was open. Holton really made one of his very few bad passes in the game and just overshot Sneed on the out route, on the rollout, which he that's the pass he usually hits. Uh, so on third and one, they adjusted, they, they, they threw it because they clearly couldn't run it, uh, for a yard there and the play was there and it just wasn't executed. Then the next play, Tulane catches ECU in a bad call. Um, they call one of their few blitzes of the game and they pressure Aylers and force the incomplete pass. That leads to a turnover on downs. Next play, 44 yard run up the gut. They score a touchdown, uh, which made it 14 to seven. And then from there, uh, ECU has a field goal attempt block. Then Tulane goes down and scores again. So, I mean, th- those few drives and sequences, that's where the game got away from ECU, and they couldn't recover. They couldn't stop the bleeding after that. And that's something that's been a theme in these type of games over the last few years. This lingers back into the Scotty Montgomery era. Just when things start to go wrong, and I'm not saying ECU didn't play hard throughout yesterday's game because I really, really did notice the guys playing hard especially on defense, even while they were giving up some big runs. They just can't stop the bleeding when things start to snowball, and that's a sign of a losing team. I mean, you look at yesterday in the American Athletic Conference. Bad teams always find ways to lose. And as good as South Florida played at Memphis, they dominated the majority of the game. They still found a way to lose against Memphis. Uh, Temple was leading SMU and in the game in the fourth quarter, and then things just got away. And the same thing with ECU yesterday, a very winnable game, a game that was pretty even deep into the second quarter, and a few things go wrong, and it just it snowballs and gets away from you. So 
Bad teams always find ways to lose. Good teams, more often than not, find ways to win. And right now, ECU is in a serious funk where it does not know how to win. I still think this team overall is very immature. Uh, granted, you got a lot of young guys, but just so many things that they really have to continue to grow up on. I, I do think the Tulsa game probably lingers on them. You know, I saw players still tweeting about it on Tuesday and some, some of the upperclassmen players. So... Um, you know, they got to find a way mentally as well as physically to continue to grow. And and this, unfortunately, is a big setback. After the last three games, they had started to really stack some good performances together, and then you get this uh, this on Saturday. And it's disappointing for ECU fans, and I'm sure it's disappointing for the coaches to have. I mean, nobody wants to win. Nobody works harder than this uh, Pirate coaching staff. And I'm sure they're, they stayed up all night reviewing the film with a short week, and uh, they'll do their best to turn around. But it, man, it was a uh, it was a frustrating game to watch. Uh, make no bones about it. On Saturday, inside Dowdy Ficklin Stadium, ECU now zero and three at home this year, which is uh, which is disappointing. So um, they'll have at least one more crack at it against SMU in late November. But you could be looking at a season where you don't have a home win. And uh, I'm not sure the last time that happened for. East Carolina. All right, let's. Uh, I want to dive into some of these pro football focus numbers. We'll have a full report up on uh, hoistacolors.net as we review this. But wanted to to dive into some of the, uh, the the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good. This was actually Holt Naylor's highest graded game of the season. One of his highest graded games of his career uh, per pro pro football focus. He graded out at ninety point six overall, which is an elite grade. Uh, in 75 plays, 51 of which were passes. He had a 90.8 passing grade. Uh, really outside of the the throw to Snead that he missed, he didn't have many bad throws all game. Um, I mean, that's the thing is that there were so many tight windows that he put the ball in. And, and the, the thing we saw on Saturday that was a big encouragement was the downfield passing. And, yes, some of it was late in the game when it was out of reach, but those dimes to Blake Prohl, uh, those were beautiful balls. You couldn't have thrown either one any better as far as the two touchdowns. He also threw some perfect passes to CJ in traffic. He threw some good balls to Snead in traffic. I mean, he was he was threading the needle, zero picks, uh, and, and three touchdowns. So, you know, I, I saw some complaints about Holton Naylor's play, which is natural. You know, the quarterback's always going to be the first to be blamed, and the offense didn't play well, but – when you have zero running game and you have zero pass protection at times, for, for Holton Aylers to play the way he did, 351 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, I thought was pretty heroic. So I, I don't I don't understand the Holton Aylers bashing after a game like this. I, I thought he was far from uh, the biggest problem. Uh, Blake Pro, of course, grades out really well. 80.5 overall, 79.4 in the passing game. He finishes with 13 catches. For a career high, 183 yards and two scores. It was good to see him. You know, we always think of Blake Prohl, maybe unfairly so, as a possession receiver. And for him to beat the defense deep uh, was good to see. You know, we knew coming into this game, Tulane, they like to leave their outside corners in one-on-one coverage in a lot of situations. And I really thought this would be the C.J. Johnson game as a result. And he did make some catches in those in those situations, but he also dropped a couple balls again. Uh, and and give Blake Pearl credit. He was the one who took advantage of it more so than CJ. So I thought that said a lot for 
for Blake Prohl uh, to kind of show that big playability that we haven't necessarily seen as much outside of the Old Dominion game uh, last year. So that was good. Uh, as far as the ugly offensively, um, man, it was just a tough day for, for the offensive tackle position. You know, three of the four lowest-graded players uh, played offensive tackle in this game. And, you know, it was a, we knew it was going to be a tough matchup. You know, Patrick Johnson and Cameron Sample, the two – Defensive ends for Tulane, they are NFL caliber players, and, and quite frankly, they just couldn't couldn't hold up at the point of attack. Uh, it was a bad day for ECU at offensive tackle, both on the left and right side, but especially the right side in pass pro. They just could not do anything to stop Patrick Johnson and uh, was a little surprised we didn't see more chipping uh, out, out wide, but... You know, it. You know, we saw a little bit of it, but especially late in the game when it was obvious passing situations, Patrick Johnson would just kind of run around whoever was at right tackle, and Holton didn't didn't stand much of a chance. They had to get the ball out so quick. So tough day for the offensive line. A step back from previous weeks, and uh, not a surprise to see those grades kind of be where they are after given the matchup. And, and again, you're really missing Deontay Smith and Bailey Malovic. Uh defensively. You know, the corners graded out really well. Uh, really, Jaquan McMillan and Nolan Johnson, the two uh, corner corners, as well as Malik Fleming, uh, Johnson and McMillan were the two highest-graded players upon Pro Football Focus's initial review. Fleming uh, graded out solidly as well. Uh, he did uh, miss a tackle at one point, um, which hurt, hurt his tackling grade, but coverage-wise, he was pretty good. You know, the safety play was a little up and down. But the you know the the defensive line I thought and the linebackers uh, took a step back yesterday mainly because of the running game. They were just you just can't give up eight to nine yards of carry. Too many plays where the linebackers over pursued and missed their fits, or were just unable to uh, to make that play. Uh, it, it, it was just tough to watch. You know you you go into this game knowing you have to stop the run, and I thought Tulane did a good job early of spreading ECU out, throwing the football around to make them respect the pass. And then from there, Tulane's offense can pretty much do whatever it wanted. I mean, there were very few negative plays um, created by ECU's defense. And Tulane was able to run the ball at will, especially in the second and third quarter. So that was the game. I mean, you, if you can't stop the run, you can't run the ball. If you're ECU, then you're, you're going to get blown out. And uh, we saw that. So uh, the linebackers, again, struggled. Uh, Bruce Bivens did grade out pretty well. He was one of the few linebackers that earned a positive grade. Tough day for Xavier Smith per pro football focus was uh, considered the lowest graded defensive player uh, coming out of this game. So, uh, Jaira Wilson also struggled a bit in run fits according to pro football focus uh, and some of these other guys that you know had played well in, re- in recent weeks according to at least uh, PFF's grading did not play as well uh, it was good to see Jawan Powell back at safety you know of course Tank Robinson transferred out mid middle of the week Robert Kennedy probably won't be playing again this year at safety so good to see Jawan Powell back he split time um, at safety along with uh, with Warren Saba and uh, Sean Dorso. so the safety position kind of thin right now but it was good to see Jawan back and uh, expect him to play more going forward as well all right we are going to get into your questions first take a break and uh, hear from our local sponsors and then we'll be back uh, to continue on this podcast as we continue to break down ECU and Tulane 
Alright, welcome back to the Hoist of Colors podcast. We're rolling along. Recapping ECU's frustrating 38-21 loss to the Tulane Green Wave. They fought a 1-5 on the season, 1-4 in American Athletic Conference play. Let's get to your questions now. Buck Wild 17 as where was Darius Penix and Aaron Ramsour uh, for yesterday's game? Uh, again, it's tough because I did not, I was not there in person, so I'm not 100% sure um, where they were. Usually I'm able to check to see if they're at least dressed out or not. Penix, I know, was not dressed out. The interesting thing about Penix was we saw that he was included on a social media post, you know, wearing his mask, showing up to the team facilities. Looked like he traveled with the rest of the team to the game, but he did not play. And so I'm not, he did not dress out and did not play. Uh, as far as Aaron Ramsour, did not play at all on special teams or defense, according to ECU's participation chart. Um, not sure, honestly, if he was dressed out. Somebody told me he was, but again, I wasn't there, and, um, I'd be surprised if he dressed out that he didn't get into the game. I mean, that would that would just surprise me, not even on special teams. But um, I'll uh, that's something we'll have to ask Mike Houston at his press conference. You know, I, I think we didn't really see um, – there were, there were a number of guys missing. And, again, we don't get testing updates. We don't get injury reports when it comes to specific players. So, you know, does that have something to do with this? Uh, some of the notable absences are, you know, things happening behind the scenes we're not aware of. It's just tough sometimes to get specific personnel updates outside of our uh, our press conferences. We also didn't see any Josiah Hatfield yesterday. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know exactly what's going on there. Um, but I will ask uh, about Hatfield, Penix, and Ramsour at uh, – at the pre- the next press conference, which I believe will be Monday with the short week. So, uh, sorry, I don't have more details for you there as of right now. Berg Pirate, he's got a couple of questions uh, on uh, the Hoist of Colors message board. Will we see any personnel changes on offense against Cincinnati? Uh, he, he asked, maybe less Malavik and Fry and more Holler, Chase, and Hatfield. Well, we don't know... Um, what Hatfield's deal is right now, I would love to see more Hatfield if he's healthy. I thought he showed some explosiveness in the kick return game, but obviously something was up there where he did not play against uh, Tulane. You know, I personally would like to see, and I I wrote this after the game, you know, I I love the Fernando Fry story. I love everything he stands for. But, you know, I I wonder, do do you go ahead and make that switch at center? To Trent Holler, if he's ready to handle all the protections, and maybe he's not. You know, Steve Shankweiler and this coaching staff is around practice, and they, they know these players much better than we do. You know, it's our job, of course, to talk about it and maybe speculate on what could change. But they're gonna they're gonna make the decision to put the team in the best position to win. But I just think that right now, at center, you know, you've been hurt the last few weeks with the inconsistent snaps and some penalties, and you know, the play there. I wouldn't mind seeing more of Trent Holler at center. You know, he looks like the center of the future. This is assuming he can handle all the stuff that goes into playing center, which can be worrisome for a young guy sometimes, and Fernando's an experienced veteran. But, I, you know, I would make that move if, if Holler's ready. Uh, Malavik and Chase, you know, they've both been uh, inconsistent this year. You know, Chase has graded out better per PFF all season, but he really struggled yesterday in pass pro and in run blocking. And so, um, 
unfortunately, I just don't think there's a great answer there right now. And it doesn't seem like Deontay Smith and Noah Henderson are going to be back anytime soon, if at all this year. So I just don't know. I just I think you're kind of stuck, unfortunately. I think you're stuck. And what can you do? I mean, you can't go out and sign a free agent. Uh, the young guys, like a Hampton Urgel, uh, like some of the, you know, like a Walt Stribling, they're just not ready yet. There's a reason ECU has offered like five Juco linemen the past month. So um, you, you're just kind of stuck there. I mean, if there's one position you couldn't afford to lose two key guys, it was offensive tackle. And ECU has been without Deontay Smith and Noah Henderson the entire year. And, and that's just horrible luck, but that's 2020. And um, it's starting to linger to the point now where you worry if these guys will be back at all. And I, I don't want to speculate too much because I don't know exactly what's going on, but you know, we've been told Deontay Smith is a concussion and then Noah Henderson's a back-related deal. Um, if that's the case, then and they can't get cleared by doctors after six, seven weeks, you start to wonder when will they be able to get cleared. So, I don't know. I mean, we'll see, and hopefully those guys do make it back, but you're kind of stuck right now at offensive tackle. Um, Nashad Strother did leave yesterday's game for a series, but then he was back, which was good to see because if you lose Nashad Strother, uh, you're really hurting at uh, at offensive tackle. Berg Pirate, he also asked, do you really believe the players got big heads after narrowly losing to Navy in Tulsa? We were 1-4. Uh, this is in reference to some of Mike Houston's comments post-game. You know, I asked what leads to these up-and-down nature, uh, this roller coaster nature we've seen over the last year, and he kind of said learning to play with praise. I don't think they got big heads. I just think they... I just think they lose focus. I think this team is too immature right now. Uh, they just don't know how to win. They don't know – you know, they start to realize maybe that if you practice and prepare the way they did the last three games prior to this one, that's when you play your, your best football. But maybe after the Tulsa game, there was so much praise on Twitter, hey, you guys won the game, you got robbed, et cetera, et cetera. We were all saying it. Maybe they just – they lack focus this week in practice. And – you know, I, 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 you know, I'm not at practice. I don't know, but that just kind of leading to what Mike Houston and Warren Saber, the senior safety, said after the game. Clearly, they took a little bit of a step back in terms of prep later in the week, and I don't know if the weird practice schedule with uh, election day off played a role or what. But it sounds like there was something wasn't the same this week in prep, and uh, they got to figure out why that is. And clean that up, but uh, I don't think the players got big head. I just think they lose. I, I just think they lost focus. Uh, if that makes sense, more so than got big heads. I, I think this is just a very immature and young football team that doesn't know how to win. And um, and if you lose focus after some praise, uh, that speaks to that immaturity. And uh, we've seen this again. All these games where ECU has a chance to win and they get beat pretty soundly. They were all coming off games where they, the team started to get some praise. I mean, you look at the Georgia State game. Uh, ECU lost to UCF in the season opener, but everybody was saying, hey, this team looks like it's it's made a major step forward. Uh, they showed some real promise, et cetera, et cetera. Then they lose to Georgia State by 20. Last year, the same type of deal. Uh, you have a big second half at UCF, a lot of praise. You come home and get South 40. You get beat soundly. And then last year, you have three good games in a row, Cincinnati, SMU, UConn, uh, and then you you just lay a complete egg against Tulsa to close the season. So they got to figure out a way to sustain 
uh, strong play. It's just something that this this program can't do right now. Uh, number three, when is Jeremy Lewis back? We need some production to tie it in. You know, I think he was on the sideline. He just was not dressed. So it looks like he is back as far as uh, out of protocols. Um, he, mi- he missed the... He missed two games ago due to injury, and then he missed the last game due to COVID-19 protocols. So as long as everything goes well in the return-to-play protocol, you know, all the testing as he gets his way back um, from COVID, then he should be good to go at uh, Cincinnati this Friday if everything goes well. Uh, Buck Wild 17 he's got another question. Um, Why not more jump balls to CJ? Well... You know, they, they've thrown some jump balls to CJ, and they threw some late in the game in one-on-one situations yesterday, and CJ just didn't – he can't complete the catch. And granted, they are tough catches, but if you're going to be a number one receiver and one of the best receivers in this conference, those are plays I expect CJ Johnson to make based on what we saw last year. You know, the one thing with CJ is he doesn't – at times does not do a great job of attack, attacking the ball with his hands. He kind of lets the ball get on him. And that, I think, leads to some of these drops. Um, you know, there's a lot that goes into making those catches in traffic, trying to get a foot down in bounds, etc. But it just seems like with CJ, I don't know if it's a lack of focus or technique, but it just seems like the ball really gets on him at times. And he doesn't attack the football with his hands. Uh, and he's too strong, powerful, and talented to to keep dropping this many balls. I mean, multiple drops again yesterday. He's had at least one drop in every game, and uh, it, you know, I don't know. It's just been a a frustrating year for CJ. Uh, we we all expected him to have kind of a bigger year, and we we warned people about this potential sophomore slump. And right now, we've kind of seen that a little bit. And and again, teams have done a lot to take CJ away. But we've yet to really see that true C.J. Johnson game. And I thought yesterday would have been it. You know, with the way Tulane plays defense and there were opportunities there, he didn't have a bad game. He had some plays, but he left three or four more plays out there that you expect a number one receiver to make. So, um, back to your original question. I mean, uh, C.J., why not more jump balls to him? You know, there are a lot of cases where in the red zone, uh, they shade the opponent shade a safety to his side of the field. And if that's the case, really that takes the jump ball away to CJ in the red zone. So that that has a lot to do with it. And, uh, you know, also he's just got to catch the football more consistently. If you're the quarterback and you know that there's a chance he might drop it, you're not going to throw a jump ball quite as much. So that is, uh, that's my two cents on the matter. All right, another question here from Buck Wild. He wants to know thoughts on Travion Freshwater's move to tight end. Uh, this was reported by Jeff Charles on Pirate Radio prior to uh, prior to yesterday's game, and I'll be honest, I was pretty shocked and surprised to hear this. Uh, you know, in the preseason, I was told Travion Freshwater from a from a pure upside and ta- talent and athleticism standpoint was the most talented defensive lineman in the program, and uh, for whatever reason, there's just been a disconnect with the move from defensive end to interior defensive line. You know, he put on some weight over the offseason, and and he played in the opener at three techniques, some off the bench, but then has not played since. And uh, if you don't know what you're doing from play to play, and this, you know, a lot of people say, hey, how hard is it to play defensive line? You just kind of line up and 
then go out there and, and hit the guy across from you. But Blake Harrell's scheme is far from simple as far as, you know, some of the stunting and, you know, which gaps you're responsible for depending on the call and all that sort of stuff. And it just sounds like Travion struggled with that and was not comfortable, could never really find a comfort zone uh, from a defensive line perspective. So, yeah, that. but again, to, to move him to tight end midway through his redshirt freshman year, I'm surprised. I'll be honest. I, I just, you know, I guess they're going to use him more as a blocking guy. And if this is a long-term move, uh, he will have to trim some weight uh, to play that position effectively. You know, you, you look at what you have coming back. You you got Shane Calhoun, Jeremy Lewis, and Zach Bird, and you're, you're expected to add Ryan Jones. You, you add fresh water to that mix, and then you have five tight ends. Uh, but really, they're not being utilized much in the passing game at all right now. So, you know, you do have a surplus of talent along, along the defensive line, and there was some talk that Travion – you know, wanted to wants to play offense. It's what he did in high school more than play defense. But I always thought defensive line was the best fit for him coming out of high school. You know, he is a big, powerful man, extremely athletic, high upside, and tight end just seems kind of like a weird fit uh, for his skill set to me. But again, I have not seen him practice this entire year. Clearly, there was a disconnect somewhere, and. uh We'll see how it goes. Uh, I'll try to get some more scoop on that as the the season moves forward. Uh, Buck Wild also has noticed a ton of backups on defense in the fourth quarter. Was that punishment or just starters getting a breather? I think a lot of it was due to the score, the performance, etc. I think it all played a role. The, the, the starters were not playing particularly well, especially against the run. There were too many gaping holes, too many bad uh, run fits, and uh, there just comes a time when you get – Frustrated as a staff and want to give somebody else a shot. And I think that played a role in that. Uh, Pirate Treasure NC, he wants to know about the kicking game. Is this on Jake Verity or the uh, protection? This is three straight games now. ECU has had a kick blocked. And just looking at it, you know, this one's a little different than the past few games because this was a 52-yarder as opposed to shorter kicks, which were blocked against – against Navy and Tulsa, respectively. So this one a little bit tougher. It, it, it looked like a combination. There was some penetration that led to a guy getting some push and sticking his big paw up and blocking it uh, against Tulane. But also the, the kick trajectory, again, seemed fairly low from uh, from Verity, which on a longer kick, typically you're going to have a lower trajectory and it's easier to get blocked. So, um, again, it, ju- it just seems like at times this year, Verity has been kicking the ball low, and I think it's it's not fair to put all the blame on him. But uh, you know, I do think it is a combination at this point, based on what we've seen. But uh, the ball has seemed to have a lower trajectory at times this year, coming off Verity's leg. Uh, what happened to the offensive line execution and offense in general? Um, to step back as much as it did from the last game, you know, I think a lot of it. Had to do with just the it was it wasn't a good matchup. You know we talked about it earlier, but the two lane defensive ends against really backup offensive linemen at offensive tackle for ECU is not a good matchup. We're talking about first time starters versus senior defensive ends or NFL caliber players, and I thought ECU got exposed there today. So um, that was it was disappointing to see the group take a step back. But when you really take a step back and look at it. 
all-encompassing, it's it's not a huge surprise uh, given given where uh, ECU's offensive line is and what the matchup was. Uh, Pirate Trezor also wants to know where we're getting out coached on our over pursuits on defense. Um, our flying around on D has been one of our strong points, but it cost us today. You know, I do think that the blitzing, the aggressive nature of Blake Carroll's defense did lead to some, you know, th- there was such a concerted effort to take away the run at times. They did over pursue, especially at linebacker a little bit, and then the cutback game with Tulane really hurt ECU's defense. So I, I thought Tulane had a great plan, and, uh, you know, Willie Fritz, he's he's arguably the best coach in the American and what he's done at Tulane is pretty remarkable. Uh, and, and I just think he's he had his team well prepared. I thought ECU did get out coached on, on Saturday, and you give credit to Tulane. They were uh, they were the better football team in every phase. So um, I did think ECU uh, did over-pursue a little bit, and Tulane had a good, good plan for that. Um, ECU Pirates backwards, he asked, what's the deal? We look good one week and then like total – bleep the next this is just this is not just this year yeah I mean I think we talked about it earlier a lot of it has to do with just the the mental state of this team I don't I don't think this team is is mature enough yet mentally to handle uh being consistent every week and when you're a losing program that doesn't know how to win and doesn't know how to uh prepare every single week like each game is the most important game you ever play then this is what you see. And, you know, let's also remember, 54 new players, new starters all over the place. You know, the year of COVID-19, didn't get a full off season. You know, we should expect up and down play, especially in 2020, given all the factors that go into it, all the youth of this team. Does it make it any easier to sit through it? No. I mean, it, it, it's it's painful to sit through a game like yesterday and – uh and watch it unfold the way it did if you're a Pirate fan. So, you know, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's that we should expect this type of performance or be content with it. But, you know, there is a reason for the type of games we saw uh, on Saturday. And it shouldn't be a big surprise given given uh, where this program is. And, again, that doesn't make it any easier. But it's also maybe to an extent should be a uh, a little expected. Uh, Ultraviolet asks, granted the offensive hamstrung, is hamstrung by a woeful <coughs> O-line situation, but does the staff do a good job fitting the scheme to the personnel? Um, Good question. I think, you know, the one thing, there, there are a couple things I'd like to see different. Um, More so than anything is, you know, in those, in those second and short or third and short, fourth and short games, situations you know you go back to Holton Naylor's true freshman year in under Scotty Montgomery I thought they did one of the few things they did well was they used the quarterback power run game a lot and got an extra blocker because of that when you when you run a quarterback power versus a zone read you know there's a difference obviously both are designed runs where the quarterback has the option of running but the quarterback power allows you to get an extra hat in the running game. You know, you get the running back leading the way. And with Holden Naylor being as big as he is, that's something I would like to see, kind of that ability to really have an extra hat in the run game to take away 
uh, rather than just handing the ball off on third and short where you don't have that extra blocker. So that's something I would like to see. Uh, You know, still a little – I don't know if disappointed is the right word, but just um, we just don't see the tight end at all in the passing game now. Uh, they did run one play on a what looked to be a design boot and trying to hit the tight end, and then the it like Tulane played it well, or ECU missed a block or something, and Holton Avis got sacked and didn't really have a chance to get the ball off. But it looked like Shane Calhoun was open on that play uh, just based on the TV copy, but. So I would like to see more tight end. I would like to see more designed runs from the quarterback. Uh, outside of that, you know, I, I do think you're very hamstrung with the offensive line situation being what it is. I mean, when you're without your best offensive lineman in Deontay Smith and uh, the, the offensive line is as inconsistent as it is, uh, you're going to see what you've seen, uh, the inconsistency with the offense as a whole. So, uh, are there things they could do better? Sure. Uh, the players could also execute better. And um, it's just, you know, I do think it is a little bit disappointing. We did expect the offense to really carry the team this year. And for the the season to be playing out like it is, uh, is it has to be disappointing for Don, Dinecker Patrick and everybody involved with the, the offense to this point. All right, ECU Pirates backwards. He has any concerns with the locker room? Tank, Robert Kennedy, and now Travion Freshwater, who just doesn't like defense, have bounced from that side of the ball. Uh, I won't say concerns. I'll say it's, you know, I've not, I'm not, I've not heard anything about there being locker room problems. Um, I mean, look, you get 100-plus guys together on any football team, it's impossible to keep them all happy. I mean, it doesn't matter what program, what program you look at across the country. It's impossible to keep everybody happy, so... Uh, again, I haven't heard of anything about locker room problems, locker room concerns. I think everybody's just frustrated with 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 losing. Um, you know, it has been a weird year. You've got the election stuff. You've got COVID. Uh, you got all the testing. I do think you know, based on everything I've heard, the, the locker room is in a much better place than years past, uh, especially you know compared to the first year of the Mike Houston era to this year. And so. Um, you know, everything's magnified when you lose. And, you know, if, if ECU won yesterday, we're not talking about, you know, Tank Robinson transferring. I did think that was, you know, a bit of a surprise to me given the timing of it. But he also had seen his playing time reduced. Um, Freshwater hasn't played any de- any defense at all this year. So there's usually a reason for these type of things. You know, maybe some of the older guys who we could – I have heard some older guys uh, – are thinking about potentially leaving or transferring in time if their playing time doesn't increase. Well, can you blame them? Not really. I mean, if they feel like they want to play more uh, and they want to transfer down or or transfer to a lesser conference to get that playing time, then that's fine. I mean, it's when you bring in more talented young guys and the older guys go from starters to role players, there is a natural progression there of – guys leaving or transferring to play elsewhere and that's just part of uh rebuilding a program and and this this place is no different um but as as to your original question i'm not concerned about the locker room uh at this time uh rock city pirate he asks what's our d-line got to do to get a holding call get better question mark um yeah i mean that's the, the thing is uh we've seen very few holdings 
called in favor of ECU this year. A lot of that is due to the Pirates as sound as they've played up front at times this year. They just don't really have that game record really outside of Rick Abreu, who, by the way, on Tulane's first series yesterday, he got penetration, got tackled, and there was no call. So I really thought the refs missed a call there. As the game went on, it did seem like Tulane was tugging at the jersey quite a bit, zero holding calls in favor of VCU, which was a disappointment. Um, but I do think a lot of it is based on reputation. And it's one of those deals where if you don't have a reputation of having a top defensive lineman in this conference, it's it's hard to get that call unless it's just blatant. And um, I think uh, you know the group has to continue to improve, continue to develop. I think Roy Tesh and, and Byron Thweet have done a remarkable job this season of uh, of really doing uh, as well as could be expected in terms of developing with such a young group. I mean, you're starting a true freshman walk-on nose tackle. Everybody's a first-time starter. And so I do expect this group to continue to get better. And eventually you will get to the point where they're beating the man across from them rather than just kind of holding their own. And as they continue to develop and get stronger, you'll see more of those holding calls uh, in favor of ECU's defense. But right now, I just think that the personnel just isn't quite at that point where they're dominating the point of attack enough to get those calls. So it's all part of the progression of the defensive front. Uh, And that'll do it for our questions. Thanks again to, uh, to all you guys that interacted on our message board we got a lot more questions and a lot of other threads but uh we'll answer those on the message board as a whole as uh, as we continue to move forward again ecu will take on cincinnati this week on a short week friday night another national broadcast 7 30 i believe is kickoff time on espn2 as cincinnati will enter the game at least ranked in the top six and undefeated as they vie for a spot in the college football playoff. So it's going to be a tough week of prep for ECU, the toughest game they face all season. Who knows? Maybe they will uh, surprise us again and, and go on the road and compete and, uh, and and find a way to make it interesting. But it's going to be a tough challenge in Ohio as the Pirates move on to take on the Bearcats. Well, that'll do it for our show today. Again, thanks to everybody for tuning in interacting on the message boards and listening always appreciate you guys' feedback wish i could have been bringing you better news but uh ecu falls to two lane 38 21 they are now one and five on the season until next week when we preview ecu and cincinnati i'm steven Igo. thanks for listening to the hoist of colors podcast